0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Group. Void We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Football Social Daily. Find your nearest GDK restaurants at Germandonnakebab.com.
2: Zero to hero to zero again for Bjorn Engels and Aston Villa as Son steals the points for Spurs. Arsenal romp to victory 4 0 over Newcastle. Liverpool pull further clear with a tight win over Norwich. Burnley beat Southampton and a stalemate between the Foxes and Wolves on Friday night. A pint sized weekend of Premier League action to get through here on Football Social Daily. This is your review show. Thanks for downloading the podcast. I'm Niall and to chew the fat of today's show we have Jay Motti from Full Time Devils. Hello, Jay. Hi, mate. You okay? Very well. Thank you very much. You've also got Got Julian Dow from Football for Football have you been chatting to Sven Juer and Ericsson this
1: weekend absolutely interesting guy and obviously City was on the agenda to a certain degree but yeah he's a very relaxed guy
2: was he as calm in real life as we often see him
1: on the telly that calm exterior unbelievably more so and where he lives just you know promotes why he is that way. He did you you said to me before he made you some hot dogs
2: yeah. which is just I can't imagine Sven you're in Ericsson cooking up hot dogs in I his can. kitchen. I
3: can. can
1: you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
3: in like a kimono or something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> uh, listen, it was, it was one of those surreal moments there was the Sven and a hot dog and the other one was Aaron Vinter and a kebab you know that's a blast from the past (laughs) we'll have to keep our eyes out
2: on uh, football for football when that one comes out in the near future I'm sure and also the other voice you could hear it's the Athletics Sam Lee the Manchester City correspondent who's been pretty much everywhere the busiest man in Manchester over this weekend something
4: happened yeah
2: something big I yeah, mean you've more TV appearances it. than you remember but yeah we'll be talking about that as well the Manchester City situation but obviously the games will be priority on today's podcast but let's get it out of the way seeing as otherwise we'll be leaving Sam to hang on to talk about it for the whole show well, whatever City and the financial fair play UEFA sanctions two-year ban from European football I mean, so many questions that have come out of this and obviously the news actually broke whilst you were on the podcast on uh, mm, on, on, on the you know the Premier League <laughs> <laughs> preview show, which yeah. must have been absolutely mad to get your head around. So many questions here. I mean, lots of ones like, did City already know about this? Did Pep already know about this? So far, what have you been able to kind of ascertain over the few days that you've had to chew over this?
3: Uh, yeah, well, I'm glad you were, you took it that way because basically between now and Friday night, nothing else has, has changed. You know, there's, there's been the ban, two-year Champions League ban, €25 million Euro fine, City putting out their statement You know, with the intention, basically, to go to Cass and f- quite possibly further, if Cass decide to rule with FIFA, City might go even further and there could be a massive legal battle that goes on forever. Um, but yeah, so I don't know, in terms of the, the breakdown of events, I think it was about 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon, City got the email from UEFA, Ferran Soriano, the CEO he didn't expect it to be coming Um, City didn't expect it to be coming Ferran Soriano was about to go on a skiing holiday with his um, wife and and daughters um, basically about to be on the plane and then got the email and it was like right well we're cancelling this Um, Guardiola was flying back from Barcelona he got back at four-ish in Manchester so I'd imagine he probably found out then um he was at, he was at his place on Saturday night, uh, Friday night. I know. I suppose the other thing is a lot of people have been saying, "Oh, maybe he's going to go," or Juventus could try and get him now. But as far as I know, he was speaking to people on Friday night, and he was, you know, as as committed as, as ever in all of this, and saying he wouldn't leave. So that's one part of it. And then, yeah, they all the players were back in on Saturday anyway because they had this winter break, so they, they're always going to have a meeting ahead of training because they always do. Um, but Guardiola used it as an example to kind of rally the troops and gear they're up for Real Madrid because they've obviously got West Ham next week they've mm. got Leicester um, after that but you know they are the two warm up games for Real Madrid and he's told yeah. them to be in the you know the best frame of mind possible mm. for those games because they want to it's a siege mentality basically and you, you can think it's justified or not but they're, they're thinking well if UEFA don't like us then let's put it up and basically go and go and win the Champions League that's the yeah. that's the development over the weekend
2: and in that two minutes that you've just said there you've kind of wrapped up a few things which is good because I mean I've written down here Pep prides himself on seeing out contracts and it seems yeah. that the noises coming out of uh, of the media covering Manchester City over the last few hours is that Pep Guardiola is still determined to see out that contract until the summer of twenty one.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um there was a lot of there was a lot of speculation about this when City weren't doing well. They're still not doing well points wise compared to Liverpool this season, but when that gap first started coming up, people were saying, Oh, he's he doesn't look very happy and he's gonna leave and you know, he might need another break because he needed a break at Barcelona like seven years ago whatever it was. Um, so, and the the information coming from his people then was that it's nonsense and he's going to stay and he said a thousand times that he's going to stay Um so, yeah, this is just another mm. example of people looking at it from the outside, I think, going, oh, well, Yeah. now they're banned from the Champions League, maybe he's going to go, but and seemingly you, not. And you
2: spoke about the players. I mean, would they take that sort of viewpoint of, well, you know, no Champions League for us, let's go and win it. And that can be our like sort of farewell to Manchester City. World class players at that football club, will some of them be able to, even if the court of arbitration for sport, for example, decide to cut the ban by half and it goes to a year there will still be some people who think that those players won't be happy with that even and some of them might decide to leave the club
3: yeah well, I think there's a bit of an, an element of that apparently um, apparently there's well there's going to be a story later on that um, most of the players or the vast majority of the players or whatever um, are happy enough to stay but the thing is it's, it's not so much that because They've kind of been told by City, look, don't worry about it, we'll sort this out. And as I said on Friday, they're pretty confident they're going to overturn this, whether they should sure. be or not, or whether they should or not. Sure, They're pretty confident they're going to overturn it. But if you look at it finance-wise, they made a profit last year of 10 million quid, which is like, it's all right for a football club. Um, of that, of that, good. At that
2: level, is especially. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um,
3: but 77 million of that came from the Champions League, and that wasn't including gate receipts. Right. So see, just quick maths, isn't it? You take that off, mm. and you're looking at a big loss. So if, and you're only allowed for financial fair play losses of 30 million euros over three seasons in a row. So if they were out for two and their losses were, for argument's sake, 60, they'd fail FFP. And by the time they were qualified to go back into Champions League again, even if they finished first in the Premier League, it if they'd again. made all these losses, they would have lo- um, failed FFP again. So how do you do that? Sell your players, I guess. So it might not be a case of the City players wanting to go because there's no the Champions League. It might be... Yeah, you know, they might have to sell one of them just to mm. break even a bit. But yeah. like I say, this is all cast dependent and appeal dependent and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. yeah, that's that's the interesting thing when you talk about, oh, maybe the players want to go, maybe the other side of it is they need to sell one mm. or two to get that money back. i seen
1: you did something the other day regarding a hypothetical scenario of signing Messi. Yeah, exactly. Now, so they weren't, you know, they're not expecting to get this ban. Now, if you're going hypothetical, who do you think would be the first of the fire sales?
3: Uh, well, so I think is going anyway, so that kind of makes it easier. If they, if they got to the summer and for whatever reason, Cass said, no, we side with UEFA. And City were like, okay, well, we're going to go to the Swiss court, which they might. They'll still be out of the Champions League anyway. And then they'll be thinking, okay, we've got no money here. So probably what they would do, I guess, is t- sell Sane, but just not bring in the kind of players they were thinking of bringing in. Because then you've just got, you've, you've recouped, for argument's sake, £100 million for Sane. Maybe they just buy one player for £40 million, or two for £40 million, And they stopped buying those people in the bracket of 50 to 60 million that, you know, proven internationals like Cancelo and Mares or whoever. Mm, And they go a bit cheaper just to kind of break even a bit. Sorry, to
4: do you think that, you know, one plus, if you want to look at a positive from a city point of view, is you have got, you know, these players like Foden and other players that are chomping at a bit. And there was sort of the, you know, I know it's always gossip, but that he might look elsewhere if he's not going to sort of get first team football. Do you think that maybe... Could be, an option. yeah. And I'm sure every be city fans yeah,
2: or you, you could know. say, and
3: every city fans for sure thinking, Yeah, yeah let's do it. Or, be or, or
2: on the flip side of that, the Champions League and not being in it means there's less games, which means, does that mean there's less chance for Phil Foden to play games? I mean, there's, I suppose, two ways to look at that.
4: One thing I know, I know there's so much conjecture here, and I feel for you because it's like you know, it's a great unknown, you don't know. Yeah, do you expect the Premier League? Do you expect any repercussions there?
3: Well, yeah, the thing it's difficult with the Premier League because you would imagine. It, it always felt to me, and this might be completely harsh on the Premier League, but it always felt to me like they were just like, "Oh well, UEFA are investigating. We better have a look." Like not really, you know, off, off their own steam or whatever. And if mm. you look at their regulations, like I said, um, UEFA's are you got to lose if you lose any more than thirty million euros, you're in trouble. But the Premier League's is like if you're making losses of more than like hundred million quid, yeah, and it's like it's, it's like really, really eighty percent wages. Yeah, so it's kind of over like and, stuff, yeah. and like it's not be, it's not that they've breach financial fair play it's that you know they've according to UEFA they've um overinflated their sponsorships and like not agreed with the investigation so it's interesting to see what the Premier League are going to do but if the Premier League are taking their lead from UEFA and UEFA have gone so strong maybe the Premier League mm. could be like okay we're going to do this but then do they do they want to deal with the uh, you know City are going to go for UEFA or would they go for the Premier mm. League as well so uh, it's a difficult one to know what the Premier League will do but it is an ongoing investigation and yeah. a points deduction is one of the uh, one of the, that's all I can say, really. I don't know anything more about it. I know there's stories that they are going to get a point deduction. I don't know if they are or not, but that's one of the things
2: Yeah, so they could get. So many different sort of possibilities with this. What we do know for sure is that City will take this punishment of a two-year European ban from UEFA to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. And, of course, it was the Court of Arbitration for Sport or the CAS or the CAS, whatever you want to call it, that reduced Chelsea's two-window transfer ban by a half. Um, so there is sort of previous in Premier League clubs going into the court of
3: arbitration for sport and getting a positive result. Well, there's loads in the FFP as well. Yeah. Like Galatasaray and Milan and clubs like that.
2: <clears throat> so we'll have to wait and see what happens with that what I wanted to get from you Jay was sort of a United perspective there was a uh, someone on Twitter Cantona's collar who said far be it from yeah it could be anyone far be it from me to defend Manchester City but something stinks about the priorities of UEFA UEFA take great umbrage at City's owners pumping billions into their club yet they've done nothing when our owners have taken billions out and then he goes on to say he's not a big fan of financial fair play I won't read directly the wording of the tweet but I thought it was a very interesting point I know it's kind of fun to point the finger at your rivals and laugh at them when they're in a tight spot. Does this person on Twitter have a, a point?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the two aren't mutually exclusive. You can think that fair financial fair play is flawed. You can laugh at the situation City find themselves in and you can still think UEFA have done nothing whilst the Glazers have taken out over a billion quid and plunged us into unmanageable debt from from when they came in in 2005. Manchester United, you know, you're talking then someone talking about ten million pound profit or whatever they were. Manchester United was was self-sufficient. We, we weren't sort of operating in, with any sort of unrealistic debt. If there was debt, it wasn't terrible. It was okay. It was a sort of standard debt that you'd expect, and we made lots and lots of money. They didn't have any money to buy us. They bought us without any money on loans that had horrendous interest payments on them,
2: mm-hmm.
4: plunged us into all this debt. We're still in almost almost the
2: same debt we were 15 years ago it's not moved but i mean UEFA of and course and UEFA but, have done nothing yeah the whole the whole i think the whole point about UEFA is i think it was uh, martin samuel who made a good point about this saying that financial fair play was almost like a drawbridge that was being raised And you kind of had to dash across that drawbridge and get your payments in before financial fair play became a thing. And you could never cross that river and get to the other side in terms of being in Europe's elite. And obviously there's lots of question marks about UEFA's priorities in terms of, is there an elite clique of the European top clubs, the Champions League top clubs across the different leagues in Europe who maybe have more of a kind of idea of what they want European football to be rather than having clubs like Manchester City who have had this cash injection come in and kind of not spoil the party but become a part of that.
4: I can get that argument and I do get the argument that City fans are making that it is this sort of this elite group that are protecting themselves but the the thing is if you sign up for it you've got to play by them rules. So I don't know what's going to happen and it may well be the, the appeal and it gets thrown out but if they have signed up for the rules and willingly and knowingly broke those rules then you've got to expect punishment. It's, mm. no, it's not like saying these rules are flawed. Then if you think they're so flawed, don't sign up to them. Refuse to sign up to them or take, you know, make your case before you sign up to them. That's the only thing is if you say, right, we're going to go along with financial fair play, even though we don't agree with it, we we do agree to go along with it. And then you, you lie about that or you don't do that, then you, you're going to have repercussions. So mm. whilst I, I think financial fair play is pretty much nonsensical and it's done absolutely nothing for, for my club, which finds itself in a, in a bit of a mess because of debt, I do think the 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 sort of the, the, the point is if you're going to mm. sign up for it, and you willingly and knowingly flaunt those rules and break those rules, then you're going to get punished in some way. Whether this ban sticks, I'm very sceptical of it. I don't I don't see that happening. Whether we see any points or anything like that, I don't know. But, you know, if you do sign up for something and you break those rules, then yeah. it's a bit... To me, it seems a bit of a nonsense to then say, oh, well, this isn't fair. Mm. Well, you shouldn't have signed up for it then. Mm.
2: Yeah, no, it's an interesting point. And, and Julian, actually, I mean, even though there were rumblings about this for... Well, it's been a couple of seasons now, people saying all oh, the investigations going on, City are going to get banned from the Champions League. Even when the news broke, it was pretty shocking news, wasn't it? I, I kind of got the message through on my phone, got the notification through, and I was my jaw hit the floor. I was pretty stunned by it, even though we have kind of heard rumours and murmurings that this might have been happening for ages.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, UEFA have been going for, and the Premier League in a certain way for cities, sort of say, f- financial clout. The way that they've operated, whether re- you know recruiting young players for the academy yeah. around the world and so forth. But what people, you know, when you look, look at financial fair play for UEFA, it looks like you know quite a restrictive tactic because it was getting to the point where clubs are getting so rich, and mm. get, if they had single owners who were just driven by the or had the facility to pump things, they won't need UEFA. So that, that the inception of that Super League could yeah. come into play again. Mm. So. It's, it's like a way of keeping, you know, the, the lid on things. So clubs get too rich. We don't need that governing body. Yeah, you can have your international football. We're going to finance our own Super League. And yeah. that's where, a, like, somewhere like, you know, an Arab or a Chinese, you know, consortium could easily say, look, put billions into this and we'll quit our own league. And that's what UEFA are probably scared of.
2: Yeah, there's definitely a likelihood of that. And it didn't just surprise journalists and fans and everyone alike. It also surprised some of the bigger names in the Premier League. This is what Jurgen Klopp had to say following Liverpool's victory over Norwich City.
1: Jurgen Klopp was a shock. Complete wow, what's that? And um, the only thing I can say, um, I'm a football coach, so I can speak about football and what Pep Benman City did in the, in the, since I'm in, in England um, is exceptional. That's absolutely exceptional. All about all the rest, I have no idea um, what happened, who who did what, and stuff like this. But um, I can imagine that, that in a moment is. Uh, it's really difficult for the, for the sports people to, to, to understand. You, you believe the people you, you work with, that's how it is, and they tell you this like this and that, and obviously somebody sees it completely different. But um, I really feel for them, to be honest, for Pep and the players, uh, but yeah, they will, they will appeal and then um, we will see what happens then. But it's obviously serious, otherwise, the so UEFA would not um, react like that.
2: So Jurgen Klopp there speaking to Sky Sports after Liverpool's victory over Norwich, which we'll talk about a little bit later on in the podcast. But he said, you believe the people you work with, which I thought was an interesting quote uh, that he made there. I guess what he's trying to say is the players and the manager probably didn't know that this was going to happen. I don't think, as well, Sam said, that anyone at City knew this was going to happen. It's not up to the responsibility of the players to kind of understand the situations above their head. And you often get that, the kind of, dis- not disparity, but clubs aren't transparent in terms of what happens at board level filtering down towards the players. Um Jürgen Klopp there was quite humble about what he said and there was a a sense of humility there I mean it would have been wrong of him to probably laugh and point the finger at Manchester City which a lot of people have been doing he was as shocked as anyone do you think this would change the context of the Premier League season, Jay, between now and the end of the season? I don't think it changes it between now and the, end of the season because Liverpool have
4: run away with it anyway. And I think that Pep and the City players will will still sort of do their utmost to win every game they can. Obviously, we don't know if there's any points to touch or anything like that. It's still almost it is a one-horse race anyway, so it doesn't change anything. I think what would what could change is if City do get weaker in the future, be it they have to sell players or they lose points for in future or whatever. Then there's there's a danger that this Premier League next season or whatever could become like even more one sided than mm. you know Germany or whatever. It's just a, another procession for Liverpool when you've got the likes of City and Chelsea and Tottenham and well those three. Real as Leicester, <laughs> so far behind. I won't even mention United. So far behind them that that no one's even near them. Yeah. And that's that's what what I think is is a worry. I mean, not just from a United point of view, obviously, it'd be horrible to see Liverpool absolutely walk the league next season. Mm. But from a football point of view, because City have almost made it interesting for a bit this season, and still be miles behind. I think if you have a week in Manchester City next season, then I, I, I don't see this Liverpool team getting any worse next season. So I just think it'll be another procession, mm. what well, United like back in the. Well, not even that. To, to be fair, you know, you look at United, and the, when we won titles. Very, uh, maybe 2000 and 2001 where we, where we walked it, but 99, very close. 93, 94, most of these, you know, you go back to the Ronaldo years, last day of the season against Chelsea. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to Wigan, you got, you know, remember sort of at one point it was changing hands or whatever. So, you know, when we lost it in 95, Blackburn went on the last day. It was actually quite close a lot of the time. So it was never, you know, we never had a 25 point gap <laughs> going into March. With the prospects of the team in second, losing points as well, so this is this is probably
1: one of the most one-sided, if not the most one-sided, Premier League I've ever seen. Now, you alluded to there about you know the players and maybe the management not knowing about stuff at you know the board level. Mm. Um, and again, as we mentioned before, I was speaking to Sven the other day, Grant yeah. Eriksson, and he was saying when he went into City, he said they were in a really, really bad place. And I think he was sold a a promise and an idea. And he sort of like intimated that, that scene, you know it was a earner for him you know to get him in get the people get the momentum going then for a bailout to come in, which was from the you know like the consortium that eventually took city to where they are
2: mm. yeah it's interesting to, to to kind of understand the the football business side of things because I don't think there are a lot of people that that kind of the casual fan probably doesn't really understand the ins and outs of it, and only really when things happen do you then start to get an interesting and a curiosity and you take a look into things maybe at the top end of the Premier League table in terms of who's fighting for the title it it doesn't really make much of a difference in the context of the rest of the season but Sam what do you think about the top four race I mean you look at clubs like Spurs and we'll talk about that game shortly uh, against Aston Villa clubs like Spurs Sheffield United now might be in with a shout of Champions League football Leicester and Chelsea their chances have now possibly improved of getting Champions League if City are to be out of the competition next season. Do you think that changes the context of things for clubs maybe focusing their eye on European football next year?
3: I don't, I don't think so, because it's it's that stupid thing of, oh, nobody actually wants fourth place, you know, when the teams <laughs> always lose. But obviously they do. Um, but now there's just, and there's more opportunity for that now. You know, there's, there's a potential for fifth as well. But teams are always, you know, they're trying to win. The, the reason the reason they're battling around and scrabbling around for fourth is because they're nowhere near the consistency, even of City this season, to be troubling second place. Mm. All those teams going for fourth are flawed teams. You know, Leicester are good and they've got this reputation for being good because they're performing above expectations. But Mm. you know, Chelsea and, and United and Arsenal and Spurs... They're below our expectations of them. They're not consistent enough. They don't have that consistency. But mm. of course, and yeah, and maybe if teams were thinking, I think okay, more... we can kiss goodbye to the top four. Yeah. Now they're thinking, oh, hold on a minute.
2: Fifth's a chance. Fifth yeah. is
3: a fifth is a chance. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, would that change the, the the sort of perspectives of clubs going for certain players? Maybe knowing that they'll get certain income for the Champions League. Do you think that will kind of change the thinking there? For instance, Sheffield United will know that if they finish in fifth. Well, they won't know until an, an announcement well, comes yeah, exactly. out, but they'll they'll want to know sooner rather than later, so they can get their sales in order.
3: Yeah, of course, anyone will because it's not just oh, we're going to be playing Champions League next season. It's oh, we're going to have all these massive revenues for you know, especially for Sheffield United that will completely transform them. That will, if they wanted to, they could they could really strengthen their team and they could pad out their team to make sure the extra demands of European mm. campaign isn't gonna you know end up in them getting relegated next season. Yeah, but that's like a major decision. You know, do they just? do they just bank the money for the Champions League, make sure, ensure their financial stability for years to come, years to come, um, and kind of not worry too much about building out the squad and they just see how it goes. And even if they go down, they've got so much money they can kind Mm -hmm. of build to come back up. That's a huge decision they have to take, but they won't be able to know. So yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. That's why it needs to be sorted out as soon as possible. So does this move the Europa's down as well? I imagine
2: it would. I can't see why it wouldn't if right. you finish fifth and then there's obviously the thing with who comes runner-up in the cup final. If, got, no, I hope not. You know, <laughs> Honestly, could Aston? I'd Villa, rather not.
4: I'd rather finish outside of that than get the Europa you know, again.
2: Could Aston Villa, you know, get into Europe for finishing <laughs> right. winning the by, by, cup, by, by, Whatever. Yeah. Do you know, so there's yeah. so many different uh, facets and, and possible caveats to this. Anyway, let's focus on the Premier League football. That's what we're here for. And let's start with Aston Villa 2, Tottenham 3. What a good game it was in the end at Villa Park. I said at the top of the show, Bjorn Engels, what a mixed game that was for him. Him. Gave away the penalty, a controversial VAR call call after a sliding challenge on Stephen Bergwijn. Martin Atkinson, consulted by VAR, said that the uh, decision was a penalty after initially waving the decision away. Uh, and then Engel scored. And then uh, it was his mistake at the end, which allowed Son in to win the game for Tottenham. Spurs' Champions League chances, of course, uh, are now arguably improved after the Manchester City news. I mean, how big a rebuilding job as Jose Mourinho got on his hands next season? Because I think, I think for me, they're my pick to sneak into the Champions League spots. But I still think there's a lot of work that he might have to do in the summer.
1: I think he's he's done a typical Mourinho sort of like tactic, you know, get them hard to beat, and I think he's shaking a few people up. You know, we you look at people sort of like Danny Rose, who was getting a bit disruptive. He was farmed out straight away, and it looks like he has got a bit of backing from you know the board with those sort of decisions. But as you mentioned there, next season, whether we like it or not, we I can't see Levy going to say there's hundreds of millions, go and do this. So that makes the point where is Kane you know wanting to stay, is he wanting to move on? Because he's getting to that age, the injury will start to put things in perspective for him as well. Because it could, you know, the career could go anyway. Um, but Spurs they look very ordinary in you know, at the top end of the table. But when they're playing teams like a Villa, they looked a bit dynamic, but with no focal point, I still think they've got massive problems. Mm,
2: yeah, Son obviously seems to have stepped up to the plate as he often does in the absence of Harry Kane. Uh, a good performance from him. A missed penalty from Son, um, even though he scored the rebound. Pepe Reina was absolutely furious in the Villa goal. There was just no reaction from his defenders to get there first and clear the ball away if there was a save there. If you're a team down there... Jay, in the relegation zone or near the relegation zone, those are the small marginal moments that you want your defenders to be awake for because they can cost you points. And today, I know there was a couple of mistakes from Engels, but that certainly was the case. I will give them um, a bit of sort of... The benefit of the doubt slightly
4: there in the Villa defenders because I think the, well, the way that Son hit that penalty, it fell nicely for him when Reyna saved it because he's obviously got a head start on the rest mm-hmm. of the defenders. Mm-hmm. And also, encroachment's been a big thing this season with VAR. So you are waiting. Mm-hmm. In the past, you'd, you know, everyone knows you'd have got away with it. As he's doing his run-up, he almost gets there. You start running in. No one notices. Now with V A, how many times have we seen penalties retaken because of encroachment? So I think the Villa defenders more or less did exactly what they could have done. Um, It was just lucky for Son that when Rainer saved it, it's felt kindly for him. Um, Obviously, Engels has had a a bit of a a shocker. I thought it was a penalty as soon as I saw it. It it worries me a little bit, the, the fact that VA I thought that was a clear penalty. He didn't touch the ball and he took the man. And yet he went to he went to the VAR, and I think there's, we've seen a couple of them this season where the referees waved it on. And I think that's not good enough, if I'm being honest. The referees should be spotting this season last, personally. Um, but it did make me laugh, going back to the point about Jose. No matter what you think about Jose, there's few people on the planet that hate losing or hate dropping points, or will do. They have that sort of will to win like he's got. And we saw it, you know, I think um, Son scores in the 93rd and a half minute of 94 minutes. And Jose isn't celebrating. He's shouting over to Eric or whoever it was, Vatongen. For for yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry, Vatongen. Yeah, to get straight and get on yeah. <laughs> to waste that extra thirty seconds. Yeah, uh, you know, defensive side. Yeah, like mm. come on, quick. Clean like there was not, Yeah, mm. and I think you know, regard. And I'm not, I'm, you know, from Jose's time at United, it was very up and down. I'm not his biggest fan. I don't hate the guy, but I'm not his biggest fan. But you give him credit there. You know, he has that desire. I think maybe Tottenham need a bit of that because mm. at times that's maybe not what's pushed him over the line mm. when they've been close. To, to winning a trophy or to getting to getting sort of a title challenge going maybe they haven't had that desire to win maybe that can can help them but as as Julian said there there's a there's a lot of rebuilding to go and I think they've got a few players aren't they that are sort of getting yeah. to that age where they need replacing mm. big question marks over Harry Kane one or two others as well you don't know whether Jose is and whether they're gonna stay so they, they, they do need reinforcements but I always think with Jose if he has been brought in there there's going to be some sort of promise made to him he he is a checkbook manager he does not like not spending money it went sour at Manchester United when the board stopped throwing money at him when we, they backed him in the first two transfer windows, and when he stopped, that's when the wheels came off massively. I think he, it was and he sort of kicked off.
2: Yeah, the recruitment, the money was there, but I think it was the actual player that he wanted maybe wasn't quite available for him at that time. And I think that's also he he wants the player that he wants. He doesn't really like settling for second or third or fourth mm. choice on his list, which is interesting. And you mentioned players that might be on their way out. I thought looking at the game, Alder Vereld was one of those players. I thought. You're looking slow and he scored a very good goal, I must say. But I just thought that I looked at him and I thought, I don't think we'll see you in a Spurs shirt next season. I don't know why, but in the podcast last week, we we kind of chose our personal tips to who's going to finish in the top four. And I picked Spurs to finish in the top four this season. I don't know what it is about them, but I think, Sam, they seem to have flattered to deceive under Jose. I mean, they just seem to be getting results, but nothing seems to be it's not fluid it's not clinical they're winning games but I mean is that kind of what we come to expect under Marino or is um, flattering to deceive a fair description
3: it's difficult because uh, you got to give him a bit of credit because when Pochettino left as much as I'm a big fan of Pochettino I think I've said this every time I've been on the show he did have like it got to that stage where we had to go it was one of those where you're either going to change the whole squad or the manager because it had just got stale for so many different reasons we don't need to go into now um, and to turn a, a team around and give them a bit of impetus you can do I think we saw that with Solskjaer maybe after Mourinho left but you need to kind of keep that up and so on the one hand they're winning now you know they had big problems you know they hadn't won away under Pacino for like the best part of a year mm. Um so the, the fact that that was so long ago now and they are still winning you know they, the last two games they've won they beat they beat Villa last minute they beat Man City Um not, no way should they have won either of those games really. Fair enough I suppose the Villa game was a bit of a toss of a coin and anyone could have won but that goes back to your your first point about flattering to deceive you know to go to Villa and not look entirely competent anyone could have anyone could have won that game. The set piece could have gone a different way and Villa could have won it mm. um, you're not entirely convinced that they're looking good but that goes back to what we were saying earlier on in terms of this this race for fourth place nobody, nobody looks particularly good and that's exactly the same. I think I think Mourinho fans would have probably expected him to have You'd at least say if you were looking at it from the outside, or even a bit lazily, he's going to he's going to sort them out. He's going to make them solid. He's going to make them good defensively. They might not be that good going forward, but you know they might grind out wins. They're not really doing that. They're kind of just, they're just getting through somehow. So it's interesting. It is interesting, but at the same time, you know, it's not. It's a good squad, but not not entirely his. Yeah. Um. New players coming in. I think Bergwijn looks good. No Kane. So it it's really is a difficult one at the moment because they they are kind of doing what they need to be doing, but. Not in any way kind of convincingly. Mm. As for Aston Villa,
2: they'll be concerned because just one win in their last five games, they've got Southampton next Saturday away from home. I mean, Julian, for Villa, when they spent a lot of money in the summer, people were saying, you know, they're going to have to make sure they don't heed what Fulham did last season, spend all this money and and crash and burn, so to speak. They've not quite done that. I think Fulham were probably a, a lot worse off at this stage of the season than Aston Villa are. But certainly they're... They're close to the relegation zone, and West Ham have got a game in hand over them, and and they're a point behind them. Bournemouth are, are a point ahead of them. They need to find a way to start grinding out wins and points. They did that for a period just before Christmas, I think, but it seems to have died
1: off for them. I think the success of Grealish is sort of like derailing their sort of team ethic or you know their team focus. I think they're looking at a point now where they are trying. Prob- the, the deal for Grealish is probably even done in my eyes, that he is you know beyond. Because <laughs> everything's going through, which is fine. But the, the team, as itself, it, it's not looking for any other options. Um, the Villa are going to have to make a big decision as regards to what direction they want to go in. I think they probably will take a, rele- a relegation and you know consolidate, sell Grealish, get the parachute payment, and go go hard again. I think they're not going to be able to you know kick on from where they are at the moment.
2: Mm, yeah, their next fixtures between now and the end of the season, Jay, they've still got a game rearranged to be played with Sheffield United, but next weekend, Southampton, then Leicester, Chelsea, Newcastle, Wolves, Liverpool, Manchester United, Palace, Everton, Arsenal, and last day of the season, West Ham. I mean, we've been saying for a while now it could go down to the wire, but with those fixtures for Aston Villa, there's still some very difficult ones to to come. Um, the, the problem is with the Premier League at the moment, it's either you're facing someone in the top six or someone who's right next to you. <laughs> so there's no real respite of any games you can take your foot off the gas.
4: No, there isn't, you right um, and the thing with Villa is they've never had like a, a bit of a purple patch in the Premier League season this season they've never looked like quite comfortable it's always been whenever they've had a good result or a couple of good results then they've been followed by a poor result as Julian said they're very reliant on Jack Grealish they missed Tyrone Mings as well today yes. I think you know I mean Engels came in for him and did all the things that you've described <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. so that, that says it all really and some of the signings haven't really worked out whether that's from form or from injury or whatever um, I mean those are the fixtures it could all be, you know, that the end of that end of March. It could all be d- done for them. Um, a lot of it is just, I know it's it's the obvious, but a lot of it is just going to depend on Grealish because I was watching him today and whenever I've seen him, saw him against United. It's just so much goes through him. Yeah, they're so reliant on him. You can see the sort of team ethos almost. is get it to him as much as you can, and he's almost got. I know he plays on the left most of the time, but he's got such a free role. He mm. pops up everywhere, um, and he is a great player. But he's not a show me AJ. But he's not a Matt Letizier who can single handedly. I know you won't like that because you're a Pompey <laughs> fan. But, you know, he's not that type of player for me that can single-handedly keep an average team up. And I think that the problem is, at the moment, Villa, other than Jack Grealish, by and large,
1: a lot of those players don't look good enough. And Just to jump in there, I know they spent a lot of money um, and I'm looking at the kind of players and where they've come from. Are they, you know, the manager's choices? Is it a case of vanity where you've got, you know, they've got Egyptian owners, they've got... Trezeguet, haven't they signed him? Yeah, so yeah. they're getting a lot of you know French, Algerian, whatever. But I don't. None of those players I've seen strike me as knowing people who know Smith would be the kind of players that he would get. Talk about signings, Wesley.
2: I know he's injured between now and the end of the season. I just thought he's absolutely bang average. I've seen nothing from Wesley to to show me that he's good enough to, to play in the Premier League, let alone keep a team up with his goals. What would worry
4: me as well from a Villa fan today uh, perspective is watching him say, "How panicky they look?" You know, in defence, I know again Mings wasn't there, but they're just panicking, you know, failing to clear the ball, mm. hitting their own players, all sorts. It was just like a comedy of errors and you almost had that inevitability that Spurs were going to get a winner somehow because there was just no composure there. And okay, Mings is a massive loss and I get that, but when you're scrapping near the bottom and you just, you know, you're all over the place and you're lacking that composure, that bit of leadership and that sort of maybe that bit of experience, then that can cost you.
2: Aston Villa 2, Tottenham Hotspur 3 was the final score. Son Heung-min with the 94th minute winner and Arsenal will be hoping they can try and kick on from their victory as well against Newcastle United on Sunday. We'll be talking about that one after the break, but make sure you stick around and hit subscribe as well and you'll never miss another episode. This is Football Social Daily. Football
0: Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Kebabs done right every time.
1: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
2: Welcome back to Football Social Daily, your only daily Premier League podcast. Seven days a week, news and opinion from the Premier League. Make sure you hit subscribe. You won't miss another show again. Thanks for downloading the Premier League review show for this weekend's Premier League action. Only a few games to get through. And let's talk about Arsenal. They won 4-0 at the Emirates against Newcastle United, the late kickoff on Sunday. It took a while for them to, to break the deadlock, though, Arteta changing things around. Eddie and Nketiah with his first Premier League start. Aubameyang was played wide on the left. Interestingly enough, Sam, obviously, from his Manchester City coaching role, um, people kind of felt that Arteta would be the, the real deal. I know it's been very early into his tenure, but there's been a few question marks already about his decision-making. For instance, I was a bit confused that he moved... Um, Aubameyang out to the left hand side when through the centre he's been so instrumental for Arsenal in just scoring goals for them because effectively without him I think they'd be in a real tight spot they're still very much mid-table at the moment Arsenal
3: yeah well like you say the whole Arteta thing hasn't really taken off yet has it Um I expected more I still think I still think he will be good for them and again kind of going back to that Mourinho comment at Spurs you know at least they've got a lot of wins to show for it Yeah, you know, Arsenal winning stable was what their second win under Arteta mm. so it's like there's, it's been there's slow. Some, there's something to be said for winning football matches. You know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Moving, moving Albamyang around it does um, strike me as a, a bit of. Well, we need to find something that works. But fair enough. I mean, clearly, if it hadn't been working, we've been saying it hadn't got off the ground yet, and we're not really sure how they're looking.
2: Listen, Aubameyang scored in yeah, the one exactly. victory, scored. and a lot of the right. a lot of the problems for Newcastle came down Newcastle's right hand side. So I'm not saying that Arteta's yeah, exactly. made the wrong decision. And, and, I was know, just a bit confused to start with because I thought it's such a instrumental player through the middle.
3: Yeah, but also you mentioned the fact that you know the city coaching role and you know the Guardiola influence. If Guardiola thinks you know Newcastle's right back is slow and they need someone fast there. <laughs> He's going to play someone faster, and you know if Arsenal are like, well, our best bet is getting Aubameyang over there, and we can we can use Pepe somewhere else. Then that is something Arteta is going to do because mm. he will mi- he will mix his team around. And you know there might be articles tonight. Oh, is this new role on the left something we can look forward to? Aubameyang. And they might even ask him about it in the press conference, and he'll just be like, same as Guardiola. No, not necessarily. Depends on who we're playing. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's that kind of thing. He's he's going to be moving things around to find the best solutions for every game because mm. it's the only way he knows as a coach. He's been learning it from the managers. It. Well, yeah, I suppose better than anyone else.
2: Yeah, exactly. And Arsenal seem to have a a good crop of young players coming through. Bukayo Saka was really good. Julian in in the game. Um, Eddie and It was his first Premier League start. Could probably have had two goals at least in the game. He hit the crossbar with one and a couple of chances to shoot, which he instead decided to show the ball inside and kind of made the wrong decisions. Is that from
1: a bit of rustiness not playing for a while, maybe a bit of nerves on his sort of full Premier League debut? What you can say for the kids that come through at Arsenal, you know they're gonna be, you know, fantastic footballers technically. Yeah. And once they get their the confidence, once they get their the ownership of their own role, I think they'll start, you know, hitting Hitting the target, but it's always nice. They're trying to build relationships, you know, as opposed to necessarily make friends. You know, sorry, or make a name for themselves. So playing things square plate to a senior player, that's the pat on the back. That's the elevation, as opposed to I mm. could shoot, I miss a score, I can off, I can off, um, offload it. But again, you know, looking at the the players that they've they've got, they've got pace. They're going, they're, they're all wide. What I do find that they're missing as much as Ozil plays in the. In the center and tries to feed balls, and there was nobody really playing those balls through the center. And Arsenal are still missing that, you know. Whether it be a Fabregas, even a Wiltshire to a certain degree, mm. you can carry that ball in that central area, and you know play it through the lines consistently. And today, when you mentioned Aubameyang, <clears throat> Newcastle are very solid down the, down the middle, and they did concede, you know, from wide, you know, numerous times, and not just with Aubameyang going down there, even Pepe cutting in, even Lacazette at the end when he when he set up, you know. Ozil for his goal, so I think Arteta proved he he has got good main good game management. He identified where the flaws were, but Arsenal, okay. it's not an it's a hard environment to come through. Same with United. You no, know, these young players coming through, it's like almost like a baptism of fire. Because you're not going into a team where Arsenal would normally dominate games and yeah. they'd have a load of the ball. So they are probably doing a little bit more to what they'd be used to. But what they did, they think they held up well. And like I said, they can all play football. Once that confidence comes a few more games, you might get them to you know, see them scoring a goal too.
2: Yeah, I think at the Emirates, they've always tended to be a strong side. Arsenal, ever since they moved there, I think their record there over the years has been pretty decent. It's just away from home that they, they maybe struggle. And that's probably why... Arteta likes to nurture the young players and bring them in. Bringing Nketiah in at the, at the Emirates is probably more of a of a, a benefit to him than bringing him in, in, in an away game, for example, where they need the points. Um, but the, the victory ended a run of draws uh, that Arsenal have been on. I think 13 draws for them this season, the most in the Premier League. Ertzil scored, Lacazette scored, Jay, both ending goal droughts. They've got Everton next week. I mean, is is what sort of a result can we see from that? Because Everton have really picked up under Carlo Ancelotti and now... With this confidence boosting win four 0 against Newcastle, it could be a, a quite an entertaining game that we're in store for. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a sort of game where if
4: they do get a result against Everton, you can really start looking at it and thinking, all right, then yeah, we're in, we're in with the here of, of top four. That's a that's not unrealistic because I always felt with with Arteta going in there this season that maybe this season will just purely be about him getting. He's out in order, finding out which players are good enough. We know, you know, there's, there was always these issues with the likes of Zaka, with the likes of Ozil, um whether they were sort of dedicated, whether he could get a tune out of them. But he's brought in younger players, which is obviously one for the future. But I, I'm looking at it now and you're thinking, because they're not that far off the top four, mm. a win against Everton, a bit of momentum, because they've, had, they've not had any momentum under Arteta. So that's the thing, you know, Sam mentioned it there. The, I think they won, the Beatles, a Six games ago, which As doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It day, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it was. Yeah, sorry. Had Five. four draws and then another win. And the draws they had, other than the Chelsea one, I think they drew at Burnley and and, and it was Sheffield United. It wasn't. Sheffield United did quite well. Wasn't teams it's was like, oh well, you know, it was really you've dropped quite a few points there. So they haven't had a chance to get any momentum. Bats about wins would give them a little bit of that yeah. and. Yeah. Against a team that's fighting for the top four as well, then maybe you can look at it and go, you know what, it's all for grabs. Especially I don't keep what go back to it, but if fifth <laughs> place does become a Champions League spot as well, who knows? Mm. So, yeah, I think it's it's a bit of a seminal game for them against Everton. Yeah. I think that really is. I think that if that that could be one where it could almost change the narrative of your season. I don't want it to be too melodramatic here because it's only in February, but. If you win that, then all of a sudden you think, top four, it's on it. If you lose it, you're thinking, well, maybe we're not there yet. Maybe it's next season. Maybe, you know, we get these youngsters in, we give them a chance. We will look who's up for the fight and who's not and get rid of them in the summer. So, yeah, I think that's a massive game, massive game for uh, for Arsenal next week.
2: I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a cracker. Um, Newcastle United, Sam, a uh, poor defending from Lazaro down the right hand side, as I sort of alluded to earlier. Uh, but going forward for them, I mean, Jay mentioned how Jack Grealish is kind of. The catalyst for everything Aston yeah, Villa yeah, do going yeah. forward. Could you say the same for Newcastle about Alan Saint-Maximin? Yeah, seems God, like yeah. every More time so, he gets I the think. ball, the, it's the only way they're going to get anything going. Yeah,
3: going but ball. the the thing is with Villa and Grealish, there's people around Grealish to kind of make things happen. But Saint-Maximin, there was that one break in the first half, wasn't there? Rapid, he just he's just rapid, isn't he? With the, I mean, the he yeah, yeah, exactly. Then. And I mean, he looks he looks he looks quite good. Um, <clears throat> he's just completely on his own. Mm. Fine. People won't necessarily keep up with him, but it's just I think it is kind of symptomatic of the fact that he's basically the the one good attacking outlet that, that they've got really, or certainly certainly today. Um, you know, Almirón is capable, I suppose, but mm. um, yeah, Sam Maximan is is a pretty interesting player. They've they've done well to pick him up, but it's it is one of those where it's kind of well, we'll try and keep a clean sheet here and see how it goes, see if he can do something else.
2: Newcastle are six points, well, seven really, above the the relegation zone. But there seems to be some concern around St. James's that they're still not fully clear of the danger. I mean, if you look at the stats, I think possession-wise, we know they play a counter-attacking game. But I think in the top five European leagues, Newcastle have one of the worst... Possession statistics, I think only is it Hatafe in Spain have a worse record than them uh, in terms of possession. Hatafe of the ball. are good though. Yeah, but they, they play they play the long ball game yeah, don't yeah, they, which yeah, you don't yeah. really see often in La Liga. Um, but in terms of possession, yeah, I think they're quite low down. Are, they, they kind of have a knack of st- hanging in games, yeah. which what they've done against the top six this season, not not to be on this occasion. I mean, are the supporters justified in perhaps being concerned about bit and sucked back into that, that
3: bottom three? It's always kind of hard to work out Newcastle fans and what they want and it's because you sympathise with them really, and they didn't. A lot of them didn't give Steve Bruce much of a chance from the off, and kind of justifiably so, I suppose, because a lot of them were they'd bought into Benitez big time as he manages to do it at some of his clubs, um, and they obviously wanted somebody to match that kind of ambition, and they got Steve Bruce, which they weren't particularly happy about. <laughs> I think they, I think they're coming round to that now. Um, yeah, they're they're always going to be worried, you know. Newcastle of, you know, I spend a lot of time around City fans, you know. City fans are obviously a different club these days. But I suppose the proof of it is, as we've seen the last couple of days, if there's a way for something to go wrong at City, it will go wrong. And I think Newcastle fans are very much the same. Yeah, you know, they're they're pining for those mid '90s days of being the entertainers and all that. But they know that's gone, and all they can kind of foresee is is misery. You know, I've spoke, I've no, but it is. I've you know, I've spoken to no, plenty not, of Newcastle fans recently. Um, that is that is just the mindset so I wouldn't be surprised mm. if they were surprised about it, if, if yeah. they were worried about getting sucked back into it I Think mean I'm sure they're okay but I'm sure yeah. they're worried about it
2: yeah I mean talking about being okay what about Burnley Football Club they won 2-1 away at Southampton uh, a game between two sides that certainly uh different stages this season have been concerned about their own survival hopes are Burnley now free from this relegation chat they're above Arsenal in the table they were above Arsenal in the table going into uh, going into Arsenal's game uh, against uh, Newcastle they're level 1 points with uh, with Arsenal now Burnley Arsenal 10th Burnley 11th both on 34 points uh, they're not at that magic 40 point mark yet but you know what I'm trying to say are they safe now this season do you think
1: I think with Deitch he he does what Deitch does and he always works with, with known entities. Similar what, alluding back to the the Villa situation. When Dyches gets a play, he knows exactly what he's getting. So mm-hmm. when it goes wrong or when he's to galvanise something, he knows exactly what to say and exactly what is needed to turn it around. They're, they're a, a prime example of how to manage the Premier League and the ambitions. A, a cup for them is great, a cup run. They're just happy to just be buoyant and be mid-table with in the Premier League and get that... 100 million every year and just, you know, tick over. I think they won't go down. They're they're too strong to do that because, and they're too organized because if they, if it gets to the point when they're, they're flooding, goals he will just tighten up everything because he just knows how to grind out results and get the most out of his players mm. but like you said they're never going to go challenge and score no. hundreds of goals
2: yeah it's an it's interesting concept really Burnley in the Premier League because they've played the same style under Dice you know they're going to be strong at set pieces and it sounds very very cliche for me to say that but why has no one ever I mean you think now that teams would have worked out how to beat Burnley It's not a secret, but yet they still try and not play them at their own game, but they still come unstuck in the same scenarios. Is that just a case of Burnley being... Strong and really good at what they're good at, or is that a little bit of naivety on the part of teams like Southampton who know that on a windy day a corner is going to be dangerous? Yet Danny Ings at the near post (laughs) decides (laughs) to let one go in, you know, and leave it for the keeper. So, is that naivety? Is it strength of Burnley, or maybe a blend of the two? Yeah, I think so. I mean,
4: you can't legislate for individual areas, errors like that. Um, but I mean, Burnley just they know what they do and they do it well and they're happy in what they do. From the outside looking in, and I've had this discussion on the podcast before when people have gone, what is Burnley's ambition? You know, why are they not looking at something more? I mean, they got into the Europa for about a fortnight and that was it. And it's like, (laughs) do they not want more? But I I used to work in in, in Lancashire and I might be wrong here and Burnley fans might crucify me for saying this, but I think Burnley are just happy in the fact that they're in the Premier League and Blackburn aren't. I genuinely think (laughs) half the time is enough because that rivalry is... People forget how fierce it is. One of the fiercest rivals you Mm -hmm. get. And I think, you know, they are stable. They get the odd result that's sort of surprising. This season, I think the myth of Turf Moore being really difficult, especially for the top six, has been put to bed. Um, You know, I think most of the top six have got big results there. Not big results, but, you know, had comfortable wins there. But they're they're capable of winning. They are capable of getting results. They came to Old Trafford not long ago and got a a win. I mean, that doesn't mean much nowadays, (laughs) but (laughs) but they did. Um, And I think come the end of the season, we're probably looking at Burnley around the the place they finish, which is sort of mid-table-ish. And I think the Burnley fans will be happy with that. Mm. And I think Daesh as well will be happy with that. I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't mean that dismissively. I don't mean that as an insult. I think he's quite happy to be Burnley manager. I think... I don't think he's the sad manager where clubs going, in, oh, you know, let's get Sean Dyche in. I think, no. I mean,
3: I, mean I, I, I think he might be tempted though. If somebody, do you did, reckon? I that's don't the think. Thing, he, I think I don't think people are looking at him going. Nah, like, we need to, yeah, Dyche. maybe if, like if, if, if somebody like Leicester bumped. or Everton. But look at the managers that those cl- kind of clubs have got now. Yeah, uh, you, you'd
2: pick I'm, those over Dyche all day, and that's no disrespect to him. I think that's just the. The nature oh, I, I of a football I supporter. And, and, it's, and well, reckon,
4: I think with Dice as
1: well,
4: he might do, yeah, but I don't, I don't see it happening. It's a good fit
3: where he is at the minute. Yeah, yeah it's, he's, it's good, he's good at what he's good at. And I
1: think it's that control thing and that expectation, like you just said about Burnley, like yeah. if he goes to an Everton or he goes to a Leicester, they're going to want, uh, you know, how's Dy going to, you know, deal with a Tielemans or a Iñacho and people, he he, I don't think he's got the devices to do the, yeah, yeah. you know, that's the only problem. I think he knows himself because the Everton, he was very close to that. Arsenal, was, you know, there was mention of that, but He's thinking, going to that sort of quadrant with their recruitment, with their expectation, aspirations, yeah. here yeah. we can just keep a lid on it. And I think-
2: we'll, we'll never know whether Sean Dyche will be any good at that sort of thing until he does make the jump and does move. And I think what's a telling factor is the winning goal, and it was a brilliant goal at that in this game, was scored by Matej Vidra. And at Watford, we saw the sort of player he was. He likes <coughs> the ball on the ground. He's not like Chris Wood. He won't be jumping six foot in the air to try and score a header at the back post. And the fact that it's been 18 months since his last Premier League goal, I think, just goes to show the style of football that Burnley play and how certain players are suited to certain systems and others just aren't going to fit
1: that mould. And, yeah, it's a strange one because, again, it's a, it's a foreign player, you know, for, for Dyche, which was, you know, not necessarily <laughs> London quantity, but he'd been in England for many years. Yeah, British so, and Irish squad mainly, isn't he? E- exactly. Burnley. And so he knows what he was getting. He's watched him loads. He's probably had him, you know, at certain levels when he was up you know, Watford for consideration in that sort of you know scenario. So... If you've got a player like that who can score a goal, because even Rodriguez has got that in his locker, and they're, they're probably the only two. And if, you know, Hendrik might catch one every now and again. Mm, but mm. as you mentioned, there, the you know, the, the way that they play, you know how the goals are going to come. You know how they want to win a game, and you know they're just going to keep going. Yeah, no, absolutely.
2: And and what about Danny Ings? He scored again, albeit in a Southampton defeat. Lots of chat, Sam, about would he go to Euro 2020? Will Gareth Southgate pick him for the England squad? Do you remember when England were going to be favourites for this tournament? Oh, goodness me. <laughs> it seemed like <laughs> a million years ago. Right? It's, it's, it's fascinating when you think about who actually Gareth Southgate would go for. Obviously, Kane's the captain. He's the first pick if he's fit. And then Tammy Abraham he seems be to be that, seems to be a popular choice. Yeah. Um. I mean, rumours of Jamie Vardy coming back from retirement. Where does Ings slot into this whole conundrum in your mind?
3: Well, it depends on, it depends on whether Rashford's going to be fit. Yeah. yeah. Whether um, Kane's, Kane's going to yeah. be fit. The thing is, you can just see it either one or both of them playing, England getting knocked out or whatever stage and going, Yeah, neither of them were fit. Why do we bother with that for four or five games? It's, it always happens. It happens it? the same day. Rooney or Beckham exactly. or whatever, whoever it is. There's example. always a kind of, oh, it's a race against time to be fit for the first game. <laughs> but if it's a hamstring, you're always going to be worried about it. I mean, Rashford's got all kinds of problems. You know? yeah. He's going to be worried about them. So then, yeah, I mean, if neither of those are fit, then yeah, just start opening up to, I don't minute yeah. does anyone does anyone know I'll play number nine in this country? Mm. And they'll have a look around. Um, and yeah, maybe Ings on form, you could, you could argue that. I'm, I'm trying to think about you would get in. Obviously, Sancho will be going. I mean, I mean probably, probably the, not Hudson the door. It's it.
2: through the middle, though, isn't it? No, the no. Exploring. But I'm just thinking if you yeah. can,
3: if you can fill the wings, then you can put, you got, can put somebody. in I mean, like if Rashford were fit, then you could put Rashford through, through the, the center, middle kind yeah. of thing. You've got, you got the likes could of, put, Heaven forbid, Sterling through the middle. I window.
4: was going to say you've got the likes of Sterling and Sancho, but I wouldn't put that. I wouldn't personally put them through the middle. You know more about Sterling than I do, but I think you do need that. Sort of tip of the spear, and that's what what England are lacking without Kane mm. being fit. Right, yeah. um, probably comes in. Yeah, like so yeah. if you can get, yeah, maybe It would have maybe to be Abraham. That, but yeah. then, yeah, but he, may, be, maybe me, and be... if
3: Vihari doesn't come back, then it might be it might be Ings. But mm. I mean, unless I'm thinking of missing somebody else. Hey, but
1: listen, somebody threw something the other day. United fans saying they'd love to have Ings at. United, regards to you know, can't listen to United fans.
2: <laughs> He's a striker in form, isn't he? That's all He's, it is. I mean, people yeah. I mean, so season. I
4: saw something of someone criticising Anthony Marshall United fans say, "Look at what Danny Ings has done. Don't give me excuses about Andy Marshall isn't getting the service." Listen, Danny Ings is having a, a great season um, in, a, in a team that is struggling. Is he the answer to any England problems? I don't know. I doubt it. Um, it makes a nice story, sort of, especially after his injury. He went to Liverpool, and it looked like he was never going to sort of reach, reach those heights. Mm. But for me, there's there's better options like the the ones that the lads have mentioned there. I think someone like Tammy Abraham, um, even maybe putting a, a square peg in a round hole and moving someone like Sterling into the middle or someone like that might be a better option than just bringing Danny Ings in for a major tournament who's never really you know but had that goal. experience. He's played one He's game goal. for
1: England, but his goal yeah. today absolutely, you know, it's a quality finish and yeah. he scores yeah. a wide range of goals. He gets your tap-ins, he's reactive, he creates his own, he's he's a battler. You know, it's- it could
4: it could work. I mean, it was, it was a little bit like Jamie Vardy though. It, it didn't really happen for him, did it? He had this sort of amazing time at Leicester and everyone thought, oh, he's going to do it for England. He never really quite quite happened
2: for it. It's because of the whole Rooney thing in the background. That, yeah, was, well, bubbling. Like- that was bubbling away. <laughs> no one knew about that, did they? <laughs> yeah, no, that's
4: a different story. So, possibly, I think, there's so many different sides to this that we don't know yet. We don't know if Rashford's going to be fit. We don't know if Harry Kane's going to be fit. We don't even know what's going to happen between now and the end of the season. But let's, let's just, goals let's just
2: say Ings is still banging in the goals by the end of the season. Even if those two players come back and haven't played for six months, they're still getting in the England squad ahead of Ings.
4: I think so. Surely, aren't they? I would think so, yeah. I'd be very surprised. I mean, Gareth Southgate, he, he will make decisions. He will change players um, who... He was shown loyalty to before. Loyalty to before. Um, if they're not performing, you know he's quite quick to drop Jesse Lingard when his form went out the window. But by and large, he, he, he tends to have his, his sort of players that he relies upon. So I'd be, I'd be very surprised. And I think Southgate is at England for the long term as well. So I don't think he'd want to upset. Mm. the likes of Harry Kane if Harry Kane's fit and he's backing by, by dropping him mm. or Rashford for that matter
2: mm. Southampton won Burnley 2 the final score at St Mary's Stadium good win for Burnley Southampton still looking for those last few points to secure Premier League safety for another season for them as for Norwich Premier League safety looks an absolute million miles away 7 points adrift at the bottom of the Premier League table basement boys in the division as for Liverpool they stretched their lead at the top to 25 points it's phenomenal really they won the game by a goal to nil Sadio Mane with his 100th Premier League goal Obviously, watching Manchester City, Sam, you see world-class players week in, week out. Where does Sadio Mane fit into this whole, you know, world-class yeah, scenario?
3: Yeah. I mean, he's got to be up there. That's well, How- the same kind of thing, isn't it? Like really good, yeah, really good player, but in a really well-coached team. Yeah, everyone knows what they're doing. He's in the right places. Everything's working in the right direction. And. That's kind of what we haven't seen at City. That's this season. That's why people are going. Oh, why well, is Sterling not playing well? And mm. what's going on with David Silver? And what's going on with Bernardo Silver? All this kind of stuff. But at Liverpool, you know, it's they're they're firing on all cylinders, more on an unprecedented level, and Mane fits into that brilliantly. You know, everything's come together for him basically, individually as a collective. Um, <coughs> I don't know, like emotionally and physically. You know, he's not been injured. He's he's feeling good. Everything everything's going for him. Um, and yeah, I mean, one of the most dangerous players in the in the Premier League. And if you, if you look around Europe at the moment, one it's of the not, most not dangerous players yeah. around in Europe I mean, as well. How good could it's he? It's not a you is say. Is how good could he be? Yeah, I mean,
2: because he—it's rumored that he wants to win the Ballon d'Or, doesn't every top player? I mean, mm. uh, is he? Is he? Is the he? Thing at is the thing is now, peak of Messi and Ronaldo now? have
3: changed the game, haven't they? Yeah, so anyone who's anyone who kind of starts to emerge above the rest of the pack, like Hazard, for example. Mm. I know Hazard's only just making his return from an ankle injury um, for Real Madrid on Sunday night, but so he's been out for a while, but. As soon as you start to emerge from the the rest of the pack, people start thinking, "Oh, could he be Messi or Ronaldo level?" No, forget it, forget it. There's yeah. not going to be another player like that. That's in a, not going generation. To yeah, yeah. But I mean, so but in terms of how good can Mane be, and how good can Hazard be, and how good can you know it was Neymar before and Bale and all that? I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure because now we think to be the best player in the world. You need to score 50 goals a season for like five years in a row or six years in a row, but no one's going to do that. You know, people were talking about Sterling being one of the best players in Europe, and like that was absolutely justified. Mm. But now he's having a really rough time, and that can happen because you know Messi and Ronaldo can keep performing regardless of what their teammates are doing. But very few players can do that, and many and very few players, even if they can, they can't keep that up for 18 months or longer. So, yeah, um, with Mane, it can be, I don't know, really good, but it's just it's hard to quantify mm. because for the last 10 years, we've been looking at this different level of greatness. So yeah, our, yeah. I, I'm actually not sure, I'm not sure how I would put it. Yeah. it may, he could win the Ballon d'Or because now we're starting to see the argument, really you know, Van Dyke got close last year instead of Messi. Now when Messi's another year closer to retirement, Ronaldo is, people will start winning the Ballon d'Or that aren't at their level. Mm. So he could win the Ballon d'Or for sure. You know, Liverpool could win the Champions League again this season. He might win it. If yeah. he scores got trick in the final, he'll probably win it.
2: <laughs> yeah.
4: If it looks mm-hmm. like, I mean, it's weird, isn't it? Because it's, it's, a lot of it goes to how you're performing around the voting time cause it, He's not really favourite for the PFA player, is he? I think Jordan Henderson is, and I, I mm. which surprised me because I think Sadio Mane, especially early on in the season when Liverpool started, sort of, up. he was the one that was. He's been better. A he, yeah. He's
2: been better than Salah this year. Yeah, so. yeah, but I
4: think he had a little bit of a lean spell mm-hmm. towards like the last so what, post um, in the new year, and that's around the time when the PFA starts sort of the voting you know, or whatever starts. John Henderson was sort of the talk of the town mainly because he's the captain as well, I think, and it's that sort of stuff. But no, I mean, Sadio Mane, for me, has been one of Liverpool's best players and Liverpool are the best team in the league, which obviously they are. By country mile you then you've got to look at that. And mm. I think Liverpool, for me, unfortunately, will win the Champions League again, will retain that. Yeah. So, and it'll, it'll no doubt be a big part of that. So you look at it and you think, I mean, even when they lost in the final, he scored didn't he, against Real Madrid. He's always been consistent for them over the last few, three or four years, not just now. I think now he's just in a team that are absolutely flying. Mm. So, yeah. Stranger things have happened, and the way this is lining up, it's just Liverpool.com in it at the minute. You know, it's just
2: <laughs> well, it was, horrible yeah, it was, to, to watch from a United point of view. I'm sick of it. <laughs> yeah, it was Mane's goal which was the winner. It was a scrap against Norwich to be fair, and they had a couple of opportunities. Did uh, did the Canaries Carragher Jamie Carragher on commentary said Alisson that's why he's the best keeper in the world when it was just a terrible pass from yeah, Lucas Rupp to Puki, I, I thought that was a little bit cringeworthy. I must be honest. Yeah, it was. It was. It um, was poor decision past... making, and is that the reason Norwich are? where they are because is it you know we know Daniel Fark wasn't yeah. going to compromise his style of play he said you know they were going to kind of die on the hill in terms of how they played this season it certainly looks like that's going to be the case is it the decision making we know they've got the, the, the ability to play in that way it's just doing it on a consistent and regular basis and small moments like that the, the moments which you need to go right for you in a game didn't go right on that occasion I think just too, and I keep saying this when I'm on but it's, I think there's almost too
4: nice and even that is too nice, you know. Be greedy, go for it. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You, th- well, you know, you threw against the, the the Premier League winners elect or whatever, Premier mm. League. But you know, you know, he does a little sort of dainty sideways pass that doesn't work. And whenever I've seen Norwich, they they do try and play that that way. But it's mm. yes, it can be nice to watch, and you you almost feel sorry for him. But they need a bit more than that. They need to sort of maybe now they need to sort of knuckle down a little bit or dig in or do the nasty side of things and not always try and do the the sort of tippy-tappy football when it's obviously mm-hmm. left them six points adrift of safety or sorry seven points adrift of safety so I don't know if it's decision making or just sticking to, to that ethos despite the fact it's obviously going to send them down I think they need to, to change it and I don't think they will mm-hmm. and I think that in sort of in their defence as we've mentioned many times before we've been on this podcast I think long term for Norwich relegation isn't the end of the world I think they, they, they know that and they think well, like sort of the set the setup is yeah. that they can go down and come back up but it's not if we go down Like I think it would be far more damaging to say Aston Villa to go down than it would be for Norwich because Aston Villa have spent all this money and have really gone for it whereas Norwich they almost got promoted before they expected to in terms of their sort of five year or six year plan that they've yeah. got so I'm not saying that they've given up and are like oh yeah we'll just get relegated but I think they can live with it a lot better than other teams can
1: and what you find with teams like Norwich who come up with that style of play and they try and keep to that, you know, uh, system, what people don't tend to realise, or especially the fans sometimes, they think, why aren't we playing the same... They are playing the same way, but you're playing against guys in the Premier League who are faster, stronger, mm. who retain Sharp, the ball better. Sharper, yeah. And, you know, they, they put them under pressure quicker, so they, they're not able to play that same... They've got the same um, sort of like thought processes, but they just can't execute it as well. And... He's saying he has to play that way because they can't play defensive. Because if you play defensive, they get absolutely smashed to bits. So they need to be mm-hmm. on the ball because that's the team he's built and the style he's played to get out of that league. But when they come to the Premier League, it's it's a totally different race.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I on the first day of the season when Liverpool beat Norwich on that Friday night at Anfield, um, Daniel Fark's first post-match press conference, uh, he said, oh, I don't know how you can expect us you know, to, to go toe-to-toe with a team that spent any sort of reeled off however much they spent, and they spent a million quid in the summer, and I was just thinking, Daniel, you can't use that as an excuse every week, you know? Oh, we can't compete with a team that spent five million pounds, or ten, or fifty, or a hundred. So, um, good to see that they're kind of kind of just getting to grips with the fact that they are—they've just not been that great this year. They've not, and
4: it's weird. You look at Sheffield United, and you know, many people have expected Norwich and Sheffield United to, to be similar this season in the Premier League. But Sheffield United do have that other side to them as well, and they are able to mix it up a bit. Mm. Whereas Norwich have just completely yeah. stuck to it. And as as Julie mentioned, there it's it's different levels, and Intensity, what what, yeah. what will help you, you know, comfortably win the championship isn't going to necessarily comfortably keep you in the Premier League
2: no absolutely okay sorry if you're a Leicester City or a Wolves fan because uh, your game is bottom of the bill for today's podcast usually the case when it's a nil-nil this game happened on Friday night Uh, Leicester City would have not fancied themselves against Wolves because Wolves were a good team but they would have fancied themselves uh, to maybe make a little bit more of a fist of it It certainly looked to me from uh, from what I saw that Wolves were probably more likely to win that game away from Holmes particularly with Willie Bolly's goal being ruled out due to a rather peculiar VAR decision offside by uh, sort of a, a, a heel counter an Achilles heel pretty much um, ruling the goal out uh, so we've seen that so many times this season as for Leicester are they running out of steam slightly Sam do you think
3: uh, yeah a bit because there was that was, there was that streak where they'd gone was it eight games or nine nine wins in a row and Vardy yeah. had scored in all of them and it and it was when City were faltering a bit or one of the times they'd been faltering a bit and it looked like okay these guys are really going to do it and they might even get close to Liverpool obviously that died away over Christmas um, so yeah, they've kind of fallen back into the pack, and they're, they're the same as everybody else now. Like I said earlier on, they've got this good kind of reputation around them because they're doing better than expected, really. But their results are the same as, you know, Spurs and Chelsea. You can't quite pin them down. You, you don't quite they're, know. What they're to nine points
2: from them. ahead of Chelsea, and I know, yeah, no, exactly. They've only won but, one game of but that's last what I'm five. at the moment.
3: Because the reason they're there is because of that massive run they had before Christmas. Sure. At the moment, in terms of the results, mm. they're, yeah, they're a bit more up and down than you'd expect. But like I say, there's more of a. There's more positivity around that because you don't expect that from them, and they've done. And there's more positivity because it's Brendan Rodgers doing a good job of coaching, which you know he's capable of doing. They've got a good crop of players that are interesting, and it's just it's just refreshing to see a team do that. But it doesn't like take away from the fact that yeah, at the moment we don't quite know what we're going to get from them. Yeah, and to they, answer the question,
2: they've got City next week, um, in the evening kickoff. So yeah, that, yeah, that well, would, they could win that. That would be an interesting game. They could win that comfortably. For sure. <laughs> Not,
3: no. Oh, well, They could win it comfortably. Depends what kind of day City has. You know, if City turn up and they're really open and they get done on the counter attack, Vardy could have a hat trick within half an hour. It's just, it's one of those. But by the same token, it's look at the when City played Spurs of the week and lost 2-0 City could have won that 3-0 they could have been 3-0 at half time it could be the same at Leicester you just don't know what you're going to get you don't know if City are going to take their chances or if they're going to defend competently
2: mm-hmm. as for Wolves they'll have sort of aspirations to try and creep up the table as well they're, on, they're in 7th on 36 points uh, they take on Norwich in their next game but the most interesting moment from a Wolves point of view for me was Connor Cody's VAR debate with Mike Dean as he was walking off the pitch. I have a lot of respect for Conor Cody. He's been at Wolves sort of when they were sort of mid-table in the championship and then this investment came in and he's kind of gone up with the club um, and become captain, played a hell of a lot of games last season and this season as well. Uh, he was basically saying to Mike Dean, he was asking the, the referee Jay who was offside. He wanted to know whether it was Jota or who it was, which one of his players was offside. And Mike Dean was kind of pointing into his earpiece and saying, sort of, I got the decision from, from the VAR. And he was like, so you're telling me as the referee of this game, you can't let me know, as the captain of Wolves, who's offside? I don't know what difference that would make to Connor Cody in terms of the context of the game, but maybe it adjusts the halftime team talk, maybe it adjusts uh, different areas in terms of how they set themselves up. But he, he had a point saying, he was kind of walking off almost in disgust, saying, you're the referee of this game and you have no idea what the decision that's been made. How, how can you be perceived to be in control of the match?
4: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look great and it is it is a bit of a nonsense when you're asking the referee and he's saying, I don't know. I was just told him, yeah. Um, I mean, you could question it like you've just said there. How much of a difference would that have made, sorry, to to Connor kind of Cody's life if he knew exactly who it was? But <laughs> it the referee should know. Some I mean, even if it's a VAR decision, someone should tell him who it was that's offside. It shouldn't just be, it's offside, end of. And this is part of the problem that I've got with VAR and I was alluding to it before with the... Um, the Villa Spurs game is just—I think you know—it's—it's it's like all the VAR at times, and the referees almost don't matter. And it's like you know, I've seen—we've seen some poor decisions. They're scared of overruling each other. Right? Yeah, we've seen poor decision referees where it's gone to VAR and VAR's made the right decision, and then when you look back, you think, well, "Why is the ref not spotted that?" And now you're in a situation where the ref, okay, it's fair enough that he doesn't know he's not spotted the offside or whatever, but he should know he's been offside. the VAR should have told him. Um, and we're almost getting to this point where it's all becoming about VAR. And that worries me slightly because the, the sort of the most important official should always be the referee. Mm. Um, and it must be frustrating when you've had a decision and you want to know what's going on and you're angry anyway and you're getting told, oh, well, don't ask me, because It was someone in my ear.
1: Really? Yeah. I, th- I think when the, at the start of the season, the, the, the referees, they go to the players and they tell them about new legislation, how they're going to be refereeing games. And I think there's still a massive disconnect because that sort of conversation. As much he was frustrated, should, should shouldn't shouldn't happen because he should know. Ah, mm. oh, right, it's offside. It's, if he's it's gone VAR, he won't know where he's still open to tell me this, tell me that, and he's saying I don't know, and it just creates you know the the mistrust, the misunderstanding, and the ambiguity. I think there's it. It's going to have to be reviewed, as people are saying, because it's it's dominating. You know every single you know whether it be you know football pundit show or whatever you know results, and I think. I can't understand why we don't use the pitch side um r- review mm. where every other country or and cups they're allowed to which is which is daft especially the magnitude of the Premier League compared to everywhere else we're leaving it to, you know, still to chance and it's being taken out of the, the referees hands
2: yeah absolutely and thankfully we don't have to talk any more about VAR on this podcast because that's the last game that happened over the Premier League weekend Wolverhampton Wanderers and Leicester playing out a 0-0 draw on Friday night so let's take a quick look at the Premier League table close your eyes Jay close your ears Liverpool top 76 points 25 points clear of Manchester City in second rather peculiarly Manchester City and Liverpool both have West Ham as their next fixture City's game taking place on Wednesday at the Etihad had after Storm Kira called off the initial fixture last weekend. Leicester in third on 50 points, nine clear of Chelsea, who are in fourth, comprising the rest of the top four. Tottenham move up into fifth with their victory uh, at the weekend over Aston Villa. Sheffield United slip to sixth on 39. Wolves, Everton, Manchester United and Arsenal complete the rest of the top half of the table. Then it's Burnley, Southampton, Newcastle, Crystal Palace and Brighton from 10th to 15th Bournemouth in 16th on 26th Villa in 17th on 25 points that's a point above West Ham Watford are in the relegation zone also as are Norwich City bottom of the table so that's the Premier League table as it looks of course we're still trying to sort of get back into the swing of things after this winter break so before we leave do you think it's been a success? Missed your, your regular full schedule? Does I'm that's alright I, I be don't be honest, mind yeah, it
4: yeah, to be honest with you anything that's given us a break from the absolute scouse fest that we're <laughs> in the middle of is it, it, welcome for me And yeah, would you I'm, welcome I'm, it again I'm, next season? I mean personally I would I would I think give it a go rather than oh well you know we give it a year it didn't work let's try it, let's let's scrap it um obviously there's front of them in a bit of um, spanner in the works with the storm for for some clubs but yeah by and large I think it, it's all right
2: yeah I Sam uh, from a journo's perspective what I mean what have you made of the break been um, welcome um, to have a couple of weekends free or have you been um, wheeled this out to championship now <laughs> to do not eh?
3: been um uh, well and the, even City's game was off anyway wasn't it yeah. the West Ham game so yep. I'm going to that on Wednesday night um, no, he's
2: <laughs> so gone from having a two week break to no time off midweek fixtures you for news breaking yeah.
3: no it's fine though because um, there was like, loads of journalists had to do loads of stuff from the transfer market but City didn't do anything in January so it doesn't matter so, um, mm. no but I'd, even from not a journalist point of view I think it's alright like, it, it's a chance for the players to go and then go to Dubai and let their hair down. By all accounts, they've still been keeping up with their fitness work and stuff. But yeah. I think uh, Brendan Rogers said about James Madison because Madison was having a bit of a party as he seemed to like to do. <laughs> Leave but him Rogers alone. was like, "Yeah, but Rogers was like, you need to you need to disconnect mentally. I think you do. Like, mm. I, I think you absolutely do. So it, it's good. It makes sense. I mean, I've not missed. I've not missed it. I've not missed the games. Mm. But for, I don't necessarily follow football the same as a loyal fan would who goes to see their team. But from my point of view, I've not missed the games. The fact that there's been four a weekend." No no problem really. I think they should keep it.
1: Ericsson the other day, he was talk we were talking about training loads in different countries and how he tried to do things differently back in the day even in, in Sweden and he was talking about the, the break now and this was something that he tried to push through in his first tenure, you know, in England. Uh, back in was it two thousand and two when he wanted to really push that. So he had a bit of a wry smile that he's finally being adopted. Mm. And I think the players, you know, they'll love that because It is, they do need that release, not necessarily, you know, going nuts, but just, you know, take away from the immediate day-to-day scrutiny and intending just to go there, do that bonding thing because it is still a team, team game and then they've come back and the great thing is, looks like there's been no hangover. Yeah. metaphorically and literally
2: yeah well well, maybe we'll welcome a Premier League winter break again next season then I've been Niall I'm, I've been alright with it as well to be fair at least less work <laughs> for me so not not too bad Julian's interview with Sven you can catch on football for football the website is football and then the number four and then football.com um, basically top players coaches all in conversation with Julian is a really useful platform as well um, no matter what level of the game you're at grassroots or above certainly go and check that out Jay good luck uh, with the game against Chelsea on Monday night Massive one, that big one, in it, eh? Big one, yeah, um, Got
4: a good record against Chelsea, though. Don't want to jinx it. Under Ali, it's his, it's his favourite team.
2: Yeah. He fought three wins and a draw out of four. And Sam, I hope you get some sleep. If not now, then in a few weeks, because obviously you are you got a little nipper on the way as well. Yeah. So your sleepless nights are going to be long and extended, I think. It's fine.
3: Friday on the way home doing all this FFP stuff I hope she goes into labour
2: tonight
3: <laughs> <laughs> I can, have I can have a month off
2: brilliant this has been Football Social Daily your Premier League review show thanks for downloading the podcast if you don't want to miss another episode again make sure you hit subscribe or follow or whatever it may be however you listen to your podcast and you'll never miss another show again but we will be back again tomorrow for more and all the subsequent days of the rest of the Premier League season but that's it for now and we'll speak to you again soon
1: Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab now 40 restaurants across the UK